The following is a sermon podcast from White Ridge Baptist Church. Good morning, church. If you're outside, we're starting. Um, I'm Sheila and I'm the director of children's ministries here. I just want to welcome each of you here today, whether you're in person or online, we welcome you here and we're glad that you're worshiping together with us. Um, if you're visiting or new to our church, we have a welcome card. And if you're here, it's in this, it should be in the seat pocket right in front of you. Um, you can fill that out and drop it off with an usher or at the basket at the back. Um, and if you're online, you can click on the welcome here banner and that will take you to a form that you can fill out on our website. Uh, it's name tag Sunday. So we are encouraging you guys to say hi, introduce yourself to someone you don't know today. Um, Our cafe area is open today, so we hope that you'll stick around after the service to fellowship with one another. Um, Yeah, so we're excited for that. Um, You may have seen our beautiful tree in the hall as you came in. It's um, filled with yellow and blue ribbons. Those ribbons are filled with our prayers for Ukraine. The situation in Ukraine is so heartbreaking and awful, um, but one big thing that we can do is pray for them. And so we encourage you to stop by the table after the service and write your prayer on a ribbon and attach it to the tree. So I'm pleased to announce that we are accepting applications for our green team summer worker again this, this summer. If you're a student between the ages of 15 and 29, this might be for you. We hope to hire one and possibly two students to work this summer about 24 to 30 hours a week um, with um, starting in September, I'm sorry, starting in June, going to September with flexible hours in those two months. Um, We have 14 acres here on our grounds and the student will be working on grounds maintenance, assisting with any outdoor projects we might be doing, maybe helping um, develop the pathway project we worked on last year as well as assisting uh, with with me in children's ministries and Rudy with youth um, in any summer events or activities that we do with the kids. Um, So we'll be accepting applications until May the 8th. And so you can ask for a full job description from the church office. Um, And if you have any questions, please contact the church as well. So this Friday is Good Friday, and it begins our Easter celebration series called Hallelujah, What a Savior. So our Good Friday service is at 10.30 a.m., in person and online, and our, um, it is called Jesus Chose the Cross. And our Easter Sunday service will also be at 10.30, in person and online, called I Have Seen the Lord. So we invite you to join us and celebrate with us as we reflect on the true meaning of Easter um, and the joy we have knowing that Christ came for us, he died for us, and um, he came to save us. So I'd like to invite some of our kids from our WAVE class, Jemima and Jedediah, to come on up to read the scripture for this morning. And then after that, in honor of Palm Sunday, our Sunseekers kids have put together a video song for you. Matthew 21, 1-11. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her coat by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to daughter Zion, see your king comes to you, 
gentle and riding on a donkey, and on a colt the, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought their donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? The crowd answered, This is Jesus, the prophet from, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. 
peace in heaven and glory in the highest heaven. They took palm branches and went out to meet him. They kept shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. Sing to the Lord, you his faithful ones, and praise his holy name. For his anger lasts only a moment, but his favor a lifetime. Weeping may spend the night, but there is joy in the morning. Hey, here you are. You made it to your last challenge. It's week six of the Lent experience. Today is Palm Sunday, and this week is often referred to as Holy Week. Maundy Thursday, Good Friday, Resurrection Sunday. I hope your Lent experience has been a good one and that you've found the challenges helpful and meaningful. Well, we have one more week to go. This week's challenge is Bible reading. In your participant journal, you will find a daily Bible reading schedule for Holy Week. The daily readings focus on the passion of Jesus, that is, the last days of his life leading up to his crucifixion and resurrection. Now, don't be an overachiever and do all of the readings in one sitting. The reading schedule is designed intentionally to be daily. These are short readings each day that will only take you an average of about five minutes. The readings will lead you right into a great celebration on Easter Sunday. And now for a bit of a bonus challenge. I want to encourage you to be aware of and fully participate in whatever your church is offering during Holy Week. Many churches offer communion services, prayer experiences, Seder Passover meals on Thursday, Good Friday services, and of course, Easter celebrations. What churches offer during Holy Week varies and all of it is meaningful. If you don't have a local church or you attend a church where there's not much happening during Holy Week, that's okay. Maybe check out some local churches in your area or find a church in your area from a different Christian tradition and try something new. I often find it fun and refreshing to participate in something from a different Christian tradition that I've never experienced before. Whatever the case may be, we're all going to read through the passion of Jesus in the Gospels and we're going to fully engage in the life of the church during Holy Week. I hope you have a marvelous Holy Week and that your Easter Sunday is a great celebration. And since this is our last video, I also want to point out that there's a section in your participant journal to use after Easter. It will help you wrap this whole thing up. My name's Eric Ferris, creator and your host for the Lent Experience. I'm glad you joined us and you can contact me at ridetheferriswheel.com. Amen. Good morning, everyone. My name is Terry, and uh, I'm one of the pastors here, and I uh, have the chance to share the word this morning. And really, our whole time during these past uh, six weeks of uh, sh celebrating Lent has been all focused on this coming week. And uh, we do pray that uh, you will uh, follow along in the reading guide that you'll see in the insert in your bulletin this week. Uh, as we're going to talk about this morning, the amazing thing about the four Gospels is that they have been written in a way that you can follow the daily life of Jesus in his last week through his uh, death and resurrection. And so starting today on Palm Sunday, you'll see a, a reading in your bulletin that you can follow along and, and uh, celebrate this week. And so 
Uh, may God guide us. I'm going to ask you to look at 1 Peter in your Bibles if you have a device or, or a, a Bible with you. 1 Peter chapter 1. And um, I'd like to read this portion of Scripture before we look at the message this morning. So 1 Peter chapter 1, beginning in verse 22. And if you could stand with me, if you're able to hear the Word of God, let's do that together now. 1 Peter 1, says, Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. So put away all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy and envy and all slander, and like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. May God bless us his word, and you may be seated. Thank you. I've been burning some old documents this past week and uh, throwing them in the fireplace. Old uh, income tax returns and utility bills and receipts and some cards and letters and so on. And, uh, and, and it actually ended up being uh, a, a rather nostalgic, reflective time because every time I would open one of these up and I'd rip it up and throw it into the fireplace, I, I started realizing that all the numbers and all the words on these documents are, are obsolete. They're done. They've served their purpose, and they are no more. No, no other purpose to serve. And so we shred them. We burn them. That's not the way it is with the Word of God, though, I, I realize. This is an incredibly different document. And uh, it's, an, it's an abiding, living and abiding Word of God, First uh, Peter says. And as I was doing this, um, this exercise, I began to realize that this, this book and its truth, all of it, will be something that continues on and uh, will never, never fade away, never die, never be not needed. Have you ever been in a home or somewhere and maybe after a funeral and somebody's Bible was found? I was with somebody this past week and uh, they were sharing with me their father's Bible. And it's an incredibly sacred sort of moment when you get a chance to, to look through the pages of somebody's Bible and, and uh, maybe journey with them into their devotional life as they interact with the Word of God and seek the living Word beyond the written Word. It's an incredible and supernatural book. It will always exist. It will always be relevant. It will always be needed. It will always be the same. It will always accomplish that which God sent it out to do. That's the Bible. And I'm glad on this Palm Sunday, this last Sunday of Lent, before we enter into Good Friday and Easter Sunday this coming week, that the emphasis is on the Word of God, and specifically the Bible, the written Word of God. It is not an ordinary book. It's a supernatural book given to us by God. Now, don't get me wrong. We don't worship this book. Don't get me wrong. It, we're not bibliolaters. We revere this book because it is the Word of God. It doesn't just contain the Word of God. It is the Word of God. It doesn't just become the Word of God. It is the Word of God. 
in written form. It's incredible. And the autographs that we have by which we were translated what we have today are all inspired of God, infallible and errant and absolutely trustworthy. And the whole transmission of the text that to get to the point where we have an English Bible and various translations are all trustworthy. We can trust God with the way that he has given us the deposit of truth that sustains us and helps us grow in our faith. It's an incredible book. And as you know, it's not just one book. It's 66 books <clears throat> we have in the Bible, written over a period of more than 1,000 years in three different languages by numerous authors named and anonymous. The style of their writing is so diverse. The, the way that they write, the literature they write is so diverse, and yet it's, it's this mammoth compact complexity, this mammoth complexity, in the middle of all that, it still has this incredible unity and this incredible focus upon knowing God through his son, Jesus Christ. One voice, one plot, one grand narrative, and it's all about God. How do we have peace with God, and how do we live in fellowship with God? In keeping with the heart of Holy Scripture, the intent of the Bible is, not, is to put us on our knees as worshipers of God. It's to transform our drab living on this earth into glory-bound, worshipful living. In the words of one author, the Bible's intent is to set the salvation-shaping words of God into motion in our lives so that we become, in a sense, many words incarnate as we live it out. And here is where we often get it wrong, folks. This is what the message is about this morning. Here is where we often get it wrong because we can read the Bible the wrong way. We read the Bible as a textbook, perhaps, and we become students of the Bible. But God does not want us to only be students of the Bible. God wants us to be worshipers of Him and followers of His Son, Jesus Christ. And whenever we, whenever we read the Bible or handle the Word of God with any ulterior or lesser motive, we're mishandling it. If we need to pick up the Bible and read and study it for our own purposes, whatever they may be, to prove a point to somebody, to persuade someone, to preach a sermon, to prepare a lesson, uh, we need to be careful. That's not the only reason we're doing it. That the Bible's message to us and in us is primary before it ever wants to go through us to somebody else. Indeed, 2 Timothy 3.16 is true. All Scripture is God-breathed and profitable for teaching and reproof and correction and training in righteousness so that we might be equipped for every good work. But if we focus on all that teaching and correction and the training in righteousness for someone else and not for our teaching and our correction and our training in righteousness, then we really miss the point. We, be, we turn ourselves into Pharisees and hypocrites. Indeed, that's what Jesus denounced. Now, you might think that the Bible, reading the Bible, uh, or sorry, not reading the Bible is the biggest error when it comes to this theme. You might think that just ignoring this book is the biggest issue that we have to address, but I believe it's only one of a couple and there's another matter that I want to address this morning, another mistake that's perhaps even worse, and that is reading the Bible the wrong way. And so that's really what we're going to be addressing this morning. To seek the living word through the written word is not something that comes automatic. And in fact, over time, we can get really sloppy in this. Now, I'm going to read to you a quote 
from a, a man by the name of Eugene Peterson, and I don't like doing long quotes like this in the pulpit, but I just can't say it better, and I know it's complicated and you're not going to get it all, but I want to read this quote uh, for you, and I want you to follow along because I think he wraps up, and then we're going to unpack more of it of the Scripture later on. So let's look at what Eugene Peterson says. He's, he says, The subtlest and most common attack in the satanic assault on God's ways among us is a subversion of the word. This subversion disengages our imagination from God's word and gets us to think of it as something wonderful in print at the same time that it dulls any awareness that it is spoken by a living God. It has been enormously enormously successful strategy. Millions of people use the Bible in which they devoutly believe to condemn people they do not approve of. Millions more read the word of God daily and within 10 minutes are speaking words to spouses, neighbors, children, and colleagues that are contemptuous, irritable, manipulative, and misleading. How does this happen? How is it possible for people who give so much attention to the word of God to remain so unaffected by it? Not surely through unbelief, but through lack of imagination. The enemy subverted the spoken word into an ink word. The moment that happens, the imagination atrophies and living words flatten into book words. No matter that the words are believed to be true, they are not voiced words, spirit-voiced and faith-heard, and so they are not answered. They go through the minds of the readers like water through a pipe. End of quote. So this morning, we're going to think about this. We're going to ma examine a critical matter of how we read the Bible, how we fellowship with the living God in the encounter we have through Scripture. Before we look at our primary text in 1 Peter, though, I want you to take you back in your minds to this first Palm Sunday. <clears throat> and so if you would, go with me to that first Palm Sunday. And you don't need to look up a Scripture. I'm going to be talking about the scenario from Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John's gospel, but I just want you to go back to that first Palm Sunday. We read, we read that on the morning after that Palm Sunday, the Monday morning, Jesus is going into Jerusalem, and on his way from Bethany to Jerusalem, about two miles walk, he, he sees a fig tree, and this fig tree uh, is got leaves on it, but no fig. Now, in Palestine, where we read that figs and leaves on the figs trees are supposed to all come to fruition at the same time. In other words, if a fig tree in the time of Jesus had leaves, it was supposed to have figs, okay? And so Jesus, it says in the Scripture, when he saw no figs but only leaves, he says, it says in the Scripture, he cursed the fig tree. And uh, it he didn't swear at it. He just said, may no one ever eat from you again. That's what he said. The spoken word Jesus said to a tree, may no one ever eat from you again. Jesus continued on away into Jerusalem. Where does he get to? He gets to the temple. The temple is the center of religious life. As far as God is concerned, at this era before the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus, the temple is the centerpiece. It is the house of prayer for all nations, not just the Jews. And Jesus walks into the temple to worship the Father, and what does he find? He finds money changers, people that came from afar off getting gouged 
because their, their money had to be changed into the local currency in order to buy the local lambs or goats or pigeons in order that they might offer a sacrifice. This was a monopoly, and the high priest was making a killing on it. Jesus walked in, he looked around, and he started immediately to turn over tables, drive people out. He leaves the temple, we're told. He goes back to Bethany. He sleeps an overnight. And the very next morning, again, we're Tuesday now, he walks by the same fig tree. No longer a tree. It is withered down to the roots. Peter notices that, and he says, Jesus, Rabbi, look, the tree that you cursed is withered. Now, this is what is called a Markan sandwich because Mark's gospel situates it exactly how it took place historically. And it's a Markan sandwich because he is making a story within a story. The fig tree narrative is on both sides of the most important event, the cleansing of the temple. In, in Jesus' words, he, he cursed, he spoke a, a word to a tree, and it was withered to the roots. And Jesus going into the temple as the Son of God on mission for the Father goes into the most important place on earth for people to find the living God and he sees what it has become. It has been corrupted and abused and mismanaged. He walks in and he curses it, really. He cleanses it. And he says, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations, you You've made it a den of thieves. Quoting Isaiah and Jeremiah both. You see, it was a cursing, and indeed, within a few decades, that temple would be destroyed. There would be no more animal sacrifices, no more priesthood, no more practicing of what they had been practicing. And so this is an incredible incredible event, and I share it with you because it's Palm Sunday and because it it demonstrates the two parts of the message this morning, that Jesus' spoken word is powerful to curse and kill a plant, and Jesus' written word that he quotes in the temple, Isaiah and Jeremiah, also has power because it's the word of the living God. And we do an injustice to our Bible reading when we do not hear the living God speaking to us in living words as we open up the Scriptures every day of our lives. Listen to a few quotes before we look at 1 Peter. First of all, J.I. Packer, in the book Truth and Power, the Place of Scripture in the Christian Life. We should settle in our minds that everything the Father and the Son say to us in and through Scripture relates one way or another to the person, place, and purpose of Christ, to the realities of God's kingdom, and to faithful following of Christ through what Bunyan called the wilderness of this world. This is what matters. This is what the Christian Bible is all about, and we are not to go off at tangents away from this when we read it. I wonder what was in J.I. Packer's mind when he thought of these tangents. What was he trying to address? The mismanagement of Scripture. 
Next, I want to share with you C.S. Lewis from the Screw Tape Letters. Remember that story when, when there's Screw Tape, this master demon is giving some thoughts to his apprentice, Wormwood? And he says this, he says, <clears throat> it, is, it is funny how mortals always picture us demons as putting things into their minds. In reality, our best work is done by keeping things out of their minds, <laughs> such as scripture and prayer and contentment. Interesting, three choices. And then an author named Alan Redpath who wrote before our generation said, we are living in an age which has lost the art of being silent with an open Bible and waiting for God to speak. Wow, hear that. Let that land on you. We've lost it. We've, we're living in an age which has lost the art of being silent with an open Bible, waiting for God to speak. And then finally, I want to share from a man that Pat and I met uh, several years ago in Thunder Bay. He was from Wales, and uh, I actually must say that the expository preaching that I believe has got to be the regular diet of every church largely comes from a guy like Keith Price and a few others that I studied under in a very important workshop. I tell you, workshops work. It transformed me as a young pastor and set me on a course of trying to understand expository preaching. And we invited Keith Price to come to our church in Thunder Bay uh, back in the 90s, and I remember he worked with the youth. He did some stuff with us. I remember he, he had our youth pastor make up T-shirts with the number. I think the number was 24,678. Anybody want to know what that is? That's how many days are in 70 years. And on the back it said, Psalm 90, verse 12, teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. And uh, that week he spoke on the word of God. And, and later on he published a book called Thirsting for God, Thirsting After God. And uh, I just picked it up yesterday out of Pat's library. I was reading it last night. It reminded me of so much that Keith Price taught Keith Price was discipled for two years by A.W. Tozer. Now, A.W. Tozer is in the spiritual line today of what I would call almost an evangelical mystic. We don't like that word mystic. We get a little afraid sometimes. I, I believe that A.W. Tozer was on to something. He passed a lot of his stuff on to Keith Price, and Keith Price wrote this book called Thirsting After God. Let me read to you what he said. He said, Dr. Tozer warned me of the danger of a sterile textualism. That's what he would call like water through a pipe, reading the Bible, not listening to the living word while you read the written word. Dr. Tozer warned me of the danger of a sterile textualism and urged me to go beyond the sacred page to God himself. The written word was meant to lead me to the living word. It was not an end in itself. Well, those are some of the things I wanted to share with you. Let's move, let's move over to 1 Peter now. I know that's a long runway, long introduction. The actual flight is very short, so we're, we're going to be back on the land in a minute. But uh, let's just look at two points from 1 Peter. And, and what I want to say is this. If you, don't, if, you, if you end up shutting off, I just want to say two things. Number one is that the Word of God is responsible for forming us in the faith to begin with. We are born again by the Word of God. 
And then, secondly, the Word of God after we are born again is also responsible for informing us, reforming us, and transforming us into the image of Christ. And Peter is teaching this in these short verses that we read today. Let's take a look at the first point, and that is formation born through the Word of God. Now, I want you to know Apostle Peter is writing. This letter comes from the Apostle Peter probably around 62 to 64 AD, which was about the time that Nero, the the infamous Nero, wicked, evil Nero, who persecuted Christians, was looking for scapegoats for bad things that were happening in Rome, found that the Christians were a really easy target. And he's writing, it says in chapter 1, verse 1 of 1 Peter, he's writing to those who are exiled. We don't know where from, but we know where to. All these five provinces in present-day northern Turkey. And he's writing them because they're facing incredible persecution, and he's writing them because they need to hang on to the salvation that was purchased at the blood of Christ by the grace of God alone. He wants to press into God. He wants them to press into God in this event, their salvation. And Peter himself is probably in the golden years of his life right now, folks. He's in the golden years of his life. He's over 60. (laughs) And uh, he knows. God has told him. Jesus has told him how he's going to die. He he doesn't know when. But he's, he's running hard to the finish line isn't he? And Peter is writing to these folks, and he is a seasoned follower of Jesus. He begins in verse 3 by talking about the incredible mercy that caused them to be born again into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that cannot perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven for you. Incredible words as he starts, and then he goes back to verse 23. Further on, he goes back to this theme of being born again. And in this verse 23, he says, Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God, for all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flowers of the field. Your life, what does it matter? Rome might come in and kill you. We don't know what's going to happen. But guess what? You've been born again by the living and abiding word of God. Like Luther said in his hymn, Martin Luther, he said, the body they may kill, God's truth abideth still, his kingdom is forever. That's what, that's what Peter is talking about here. And so the first point of the, of the message is simply this, that our spiritual formation began because of the living and abiding word of God. You believed it. You received it. You understood it. And you saw the Christ, the living word, beyond the written word. You did that. If you are a born-again Christian, if you're a child of God, you did that. That's the planting of the flag. And uh, you know all about that experience in your life. And that's the, the first point. You see, just as we read in Genesis that the work of God was accomplished by the Word of God. So also in your spiritual life, the work of God to bring you into new birth was accomplished how? By the Word of God. God spoke you, your spiritual life, into existence through His Word. You believed it, 
and you were born of God. And the Holy Spirit came into your life because you saw Jesus Christ as the only hope, as the Savior of your sin, Savior of your soul, and the, the, the forgiver of your sin, and you became a born-again Christian. That's the only kind of Christian there is. And so that's number one. Now, don't, don't forget, in the second point, don't forget that the chapter divisions are something that were added later. So let's carry on to chapter 2, verse 1. And though the ESV only uses the word so, the word is therefore. Okay, so because of the fact that you were born again by the living and abiding word of God, so therefore, he goes on to say, put away something. Put it aside, it means. Put it aside. Put aside all malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander. Now, what are those things? They are intense emotions. They are intense longings. They are intense desires. If you have felt malice or deceit, or hypocrisy, envy, and slander. If you have felt those things and, and been inclined toward those things, you know how they can take over your life. And so Peter is saying, put them aside. Instead, like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk, the NASB says, of the word, because indeed Peter is already mentioned that you've been born again by the living and abiding word of God. And so he's saying now that you have been born by that word, keep feeding on that word to sustain and to grow you. He says that by it you may grow up with respect to your salvation if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. There's lots in this text. Let's unpack it. First of all, you begin your life by the Word of God. Your spiritual life will be sustained by you feeding upon the Word of God. And if you are a weak Christian this morning, it is in part due to the fact that you have not been feeding well upon the living Word of God through the written Word of God. The Spirit of God is leading you to that. Sometimes we grieve Him. And... Uh, the, the sustaining of your life will be uh, in proportion to your diet. You see, it is God in you and the Spirit of God in you and the Word of God in you that will give you the sustaining grace to be strengthened. You're not alone in this. And when you face whatever is you face and you feel weak as a Christian over temptations, over worldly influences, over the devil's attack, over your own fleshly desires... You're not alone in this. You must remember that. God has given you the sword of the Spirit, the, 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 the armament of God, the armor of faith, and so on. And uh, it's the grace of God and the gospel that you must constantly remember in your diet of the Word of God. This is not legalism. This is not try to memorize more, try to do more, try to get more, because, you know, garbage in, garbage out, or whatever. No, this is... This is the grace of God with you. You're yoked together with Jesus Christ. He is going to help you through this. The journey is together. I love what John Bunyan, the author of Pilgrim's Progress, he wrote a little ditty. He, he wrote a ton of stuff that's not uh, readily available sometimes. You'd have to really search for it. And Here's one I found. He said, he said this, <clears throat> Run, John, run, the law commands, but gives us neither feet nor hands. <laughs> Then he goes on, far better news the gospel brings. It bids us fly and gives us wings. Isn't that great? 
Run, John, run, the law commands, but gives us neither feet nor hands. Far better news the gospel brings, it, it bids us fly and gives us wings. No, Red Bull does not give you wings. The gospel gives you wings, folks. How does the gospel give you wings? The gospel gives you wings because you are born of God by the word of God. You, are, you feed upon the word of God. It's grace gospel that you give. God has promised to be with you, in you, and as you, in all of the trials that you face, and as you grow up, and as you uh, grow up in respect to your salvation, you are sanctified in your desires instead of malice and hatred and slander and all the things that occupied you and, and, and were obsessive to you. You now start to feed upon the word of God. And as you feed, the desires begin to change. You, you have holy desires. You, you want forgiveness. You want, you want uh, praiseworthy things as the word of God transforms you. I don't know, just feed on that milk. Do, do you still drink milk? I still drink milk. I love milk. It's still good. Do you know, Peter is not writing a bunch of baby Christians here. We, we might think that, like newborn babes, crave the pure spiritual milk, that by it you might grow up in respect. No, he's writing, he says, like newborn babies. He's not saying everybody in those five provinces of, of Asia Minor are, are, are babies. No, he's saying like newborn babes, you older in the faith and you younger in the faith crave the pure spiritual milk of the word. That's what Peter is saying. We need the milk of the word. Kind of a parallel text if we go over to chapter 1 of James. In James chapter 1 in verse 21 James is saying, get rid of all moral filth. Just like he, Peter is saying, get rid of all these things. James says, get rid of all moral filth and the evil so prevalent. And he says, humbly accept the word of God that's planted in you. Humbly accept the word of God planted in you that can save you. And that word moral filth there is the medical term to refer to the wax buildup in your ears. So... I had my ears cleaned a few months ago, and I try to keep my ears clean, but this doctor pulled way more wax out of there than I've ever seen. <laughs> you see, James is saying here that you need to get rid of all that wax if you're going to hear the Word of God. Get rid of all moral filth, all the stuff, all the stupid thinking from the world, all the stuff that your mind needs to be renewed in. Get rid of that because it's, it's blocking, it's plugging up your spiritual ears so that even though you read the Bible, you're not listening, you're not hearing the living Word of God speak to you in the moment of your life and in your need in discipleship. So learn to... Listen to the Word of God. Instead, what, what happens is the Bible could go in one ear and out the other, like water through a pipe. Learn to keep your spiritual ears open. Well, let's, let's talk about application of this message, and that's really what it has to come down to. And I want to <clears throat> think about how this coming week we might put into practice in our Bible reading in our interaction with the Word of God, some of the things that we have been learning this morning. Uh, how do we handle the Scriptures? Can you think of a passage of Scripture recently that landed on you and you just knew by the Holy Spirit 
that God was putting his finger on some area of your life. Have you ever had that? I hope you have. I hope you have it fairly regularly. I don't have it daily, but I read the Word of God daily. And I wait and I, I try to ask the Holy Spirit what the, the living Word, Jesus Christ, wants to say to me through the written Word in the day that I'm reading. And if you had those experiences, you know all of a sudden a scripture that you'd known for a long time and read. But somehow the Holy Spirit just said, pause here for a moment. Read and reread. Meditate. Let that sit on you. You might have been done with that text and closed your Bible, but that text is not done with you. And you take it into the day. Have the time to do that. I was reviewing my message this morning in my, in my chair, and all of a sudden up on my phone comes a report of my daily, weekly screen time. Uh-oh. Dare I share that publicly? Two hours and 41 minutes daily on screen time. Half of it with the grandkids, no. No, I can't say that. But, you know, that includes email, that includes messaging, FaceTime, looking at the Toronto Maple Leafs scores, you know, important stuff like that. Two hours and 41 minutes, I thought. That's a lot of time. I don't read the Bible that much every day. I'm not saying we need to. I'm not saying that we confine life to some compartmentalized legalistic boundaries. I'm not, I'm not talking about that. I'm just asking you and me as well, to think about how it is that we have a diet in the Word of God. And how do we read it when we have those moments for reading the Bible? How do we read the Bible? That's what I'm addressing today. I love that old hymn. I'm going to ask you to do this. I'm going to ask you, older people probably, I'm going to ask you to put up your hand if you recognize this hymn, it's, it's called Break Thou the Bread of Life. Put up your hand if you recognize, oh, good for you. Okay, there's even some that are under 40, maybe, 50. <laughs> you remember, the, do you remember the, I love this, I love this line. I, when I grew up at Hanover Baptist Church as a boy, every communion Sunday, they would sing this hymn, the choir, all the robes, they would sing this hymn. Break thou the bread of life, dear Lord, to me, as thou didst break the loaves beside the sea, beyond, this is it, beyond the sacred page, I seek thee, Lord. My spirit pants for thee, O living word. See, that's it. The hymn writer got it. They knew what that was all... This isn't an end in itself. Beyond the sacred page, I seek thee, Lord. My spirit pants for not this. My, my spirit doesn't pant for more Bible knowledge. My spirit doesn't pant for memorization. My spirit doesn't pant so I can win arguments against other people with the Bible. My spirit pants for thee, O living word. Let that be the reason we read the Bible this week. And as you can see in in your bulletin insert and so on, we have the opportunity of following Jesus, as I said earlier, 
in every day of his last week. Can you imagine if you were writing an, a biography of somebody's life and you take 10 to 20 chapters to write 33 years of his life and then you take 5 to 10 chapters more to write about one week. What are the gospel writers signaling to us? Guess what's important? <laughs> the last week. So read it this week. The, the items in, in your, not on the overhead right here, but in your bulletin and in the Lent experience, you can follow the Gospel of Luke every day this week. I encourage you to read it, but I want you to read it, and as you read it, think about how you're reading it. To hear Jesus, the living word, speak to you in that moment. Let's pray together, and I'd have the worship team come. <clears throat> Lord our God, we thank you for your word, and um, Lord, I confess that um, I don't do on a daily basis what I'm preaching. I, I want to grow to spend time sitting in silence and having an open Bible and letting your Holy Spirit bring life to the written word and application into my own life. And Father, would you just help us to slow us down, to give us the, the, the opportunity this week to know you better. And uh, we'll give you all the praise. Jesus, we look forward to gathering again on Good Friday, just a few days away. And we will share around your table and we will share the Lord's Supper and we will share in the word and we will exalt you, O Christ, for what you did at the cross. And then just a couple days later, we're gonna get together on Easter Sunday and we will exalt you as the risen and reigning king. And we will praise you because of your resurrection, we have the promise and the hope of our resurrection. So we give you thanks in Jesus' name, amen. God, we thank you so much for your word, Lord. And we pray as we leave this place and as we study your word at home that we wouldn't just be reading words on a page and just putting in time, but that we would be focusing on you, Lord, and we would take the time to be silent with your word, Lord, that we would take the time to listen to what you want to teach us, God. And God, we just pray that you would use your word to show us how you want to reach the lost. In your name I pray, amen. Have a great week, everyone.